This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate. I'm your host for today's program. In Galatians 4.17, Paul warns the Gentile Christians of, of the Judaizers. He writes, they want to exclude you so that you may be zealous for them. Well, our guest today says, the heart of legalism always works this way. It's about excluding people in order to give the impression of its own superiority. The strongholds of legalism may reach you and me as we relate to various people groups. When we look down on or say derogatory things about or exclude others, we must search our hearts to see if legalism is at the heart of it. But all of the worldly distinctions that separate us friends are done away with in Christ Jesus. There will be diversity, but Christ intends the unity for the body of Christ. And that's our topic today. Our guest is Grant Hawley, Executive Director of the Free Grace Alliance and pastor of Bold Grace Fellowship in Colony, Texas. Grant is the author of several books, including The Guts of Grace, Preparing Ordinary Saints for Extraordinary Ministry, Let the, Teach, Let the Text Speak, An Introduction to Biblical Hermeneutics, and others. He's editor of 21 Tough Questions about Grace and Free Grace Theology, Five Ways It Magnifies the Gospel. Grant's a member of the Council on Dispensational Hermeneutics, and we are pleased, as always, to have him with us on Saving Grace. Welcome back, Grant. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. Uh, so glad you could join me. You know, this topic is so relevant to today. I'm so glad that we are discussing it. When I think about the divisions that we have in our society, Grant, whether it be uh, race or politics or sadly even church denomination, uh, the Lord certainly has a message for us, I think, in the passages we'll be discussing today. So let's put this topic in historical context of Colossians. What was the cause of the division that Paul spoke of to the Colossian church? It's a great question. You know, the main thing that was, was happening uh, seems to be cultural, as it is so often uh, in the New Testament, especially relating to Paul's letters, since uh, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was um, out there, and every time he went to a place, he would uh, speak to the Jews first in that community, but then uh, he would also uh, speak to the Gentiles and tell them the gospel and get a church started. Um, more often than not, the Gentiles were more receptive to the gospel. Uh, but what that would do is when you had uh, these two very different groups who had, uh, you know, very different um, cultures put together in one church. And then uh, when that happens, there tends to be some some conflict. And uh, so much of what Paul deals with as he writes his uh, epistles to the churches is trying to help people to understand and to solve this conflict. In uh, the case of Colossians, the um, the Jews there uh, were Hellenistic Jews, and so they had some slightly different philosophies and beliefs than uh, maybe some some other Jewish communities. But uh, still, it really was a a situation where the the Jewish people were uncomfortable. 
with uh, the Gentiles not holding to uh, some of their traditions, uh, especially related to the law. Mm, Yes, for sure. Well, you know, Paul starts to build his response to the controversy by describing who Christ is. Now, what was Paul's purpose, do you think, in starting there in his argument? That's another great question. So the basic um, idea of what Paul is trying to establish in Colossians, especially in you know chapters 1 and 2, is that the believer is full in Christ and that with, with Christ, he lacks nothing. And so um, the idea that we would have to add something like uh, legalism or, um, or some cultural habits in order to be fully accepted by Christ, is um, it, it doesn't make sense with the gospel. But if you start with uh, really a full understanding of who Christ is, is that he's the creator God and that everything exists because he wills it to exist and uh, he it continues to exist because he wills it so yes. and uh, he's just he is he is the embodiment of, of God and if we understand that we uh, we have this person indwelling us then how could we lack anything mm. It just makes sense that that would be his emphasis, uh, because that's even true for us today. When we understand who we are in Christ, it changes our perspective on what other people think about us, or uh, or does it? You know, helps us to understand it really doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, Paul goes on to talk about his own ministry to the Gentiles to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a beautiful just uh, passage that is. I love it. But, you know, you can't really grasp the importance of what Paul is saying here unless you consider his background. So I think it'd be good to remind our listeners, Grant, of of his background and such the contrast in in what he is saying here. Mm hmm. Yeah, so in Philippians chapter 3, he talks a little bit about his uh, reasons why he might have confidence in the flesh. And uh, he says that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And so if you understand a little bit about uh, the Pharisees, you understand that they were very meticulous in terms of keeping the law, but that they were also very exclusionary. And so, um, you know, part of that has to do with the nature of the law. The nature of the law um, does uh, tend to keep the Jewish people separate from the Gentiles. Uh, Peter, when he went to Cornelius's house, he mentioned that it was unlawful under the law for uh, him to go in and have um, uh, some spend some time with with the Gentiles in a Gentile home, uh, but that Christ had uh, made all things clean, and so um, so he understood the the freedom that he had there but paul growing up and and uh, and in his early adult life he would have been uh, very very much separate from from the gentiles and probably had a very negative view of them and then as he's on his way to damascus to persecute the church the Lord actually appeared to him and told him he's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he then goes and he spends his whole life 
uh, interacting with these people that he uh, originally rejected. And so if we understand really what Paul was, was uh, what kind of taboos and, and other, you know, cultural hangups he had to get over to become the apostle to the Gentiles and to, to dedicate his life to that, it really does, you know, change how we understand um, his interaction with, with uh, the Colossians and, you know, just, just what a change that Paul had to go through. And uh, so when he's asking other people to go through a similar change, uh, we can understand that he's already been there. Yes, he absolutely has. And, and going back to that, that verse where he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's talking mm-hmm. to the Gentiles. He recognizes Christ is in them just as Christ is in him. Uh, so he truly, uh, truly had made a transition there. And, you know, as mm-hmm. you recall, you know, someone with that background would normally have nothing to do with the Gentiles. And yet Christ did transform Paul's way of thinking. Uh, were there other other evidences of of uh, Paul's attitude toward the the Gentiles uh, in any of his in other writings? Do you mean you know be- before he came to Christ or after? No, afterwards. Some other yeah. things that would indicate, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, so um, so many of his letters are are dealing with this issue, and and uh, you can see in Galatians he gets so he's so angry uh, as he's writing that, and it's it's not that he's mad at who he's writing at; he's mad that um, they're allowing themselves to be um, diminished. Okay, and they're allowing themselves to be um, to be hurt and excluded, um, and that they're not really fully understanding their their position and their value um, in Christ's eyes. And so, um, as he writes that, you can see this this frustration, you know, um, uh, that's that's expressed. And you know, he says that they're being foolish, and um, he he. Um, he, he says at one point in, in Galatians uh, chapter five that uh, he could wish that those who were troubling him would would cut themselves off. And the word actually means to mutilate themselves regarding, you know, an allusion to circumcision. And so uh, there's there's definitely like kind of a mama bear attitude that he has yeah. towards the Gentiles there. And he he says he says in there um, he calls them my little children and he talks about hey, he's laboring again in birth pangs um, for them so that, uh, you know, Christ will be fully formed in them. And so, yeah, he just had this intense love for them. And if if you look at um, also the suffering that he went through that's chronicled in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, uh, you know, you don't do that for people you don't care about. And uh, so he went through intense suffering for the sake of them because he loved them very much. He did. And, you know, Grant, that's such a, a lesson for us as well as believers, that just the transforming power of Christ in us, right? He can take away all of our prejudices. Uh, he can cause us to love those who have hurt us. He can cause us to uh, just want to pray for them and help them and become that mama bear for them. Only Christ, only Christ in us could do that. So I just think it's a beautiful testimony that we have the privilege uh, of reading Paul's story. Well, explain, explain, if you will, Grant, what Paul was referencing in Colossians 1.24. He says he is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What, what does he mean here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we pull that out of context and we don't really understand what he's talking about, we could think that maybe he's saying that Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. Um, but, you know, that actually goes 
very counter to everything he's saying in the book is that, you know, Christ and what he did is enough. But uh, what Paul is saying there is that um, he's referring to the uh, work to build the church. And so Christ's sacrifice itself didn't um, didn't send out preachers, you know, or didn't didn't do the preaching for uh, for people. It didn't plant churches. And so Paul's suffering that he went through that was maybe um, afflictions that he he dealt with because um, because these things weren't taken care of in in the sacrifice of Christ meant that he had to go from place to place to place and endure persecution and endure hardship just to get from place to place and all those sort of things. And so there was a lot of suffering there that uh, was just related to the work that's necessary in order to build the body of Christ and plant churches. And so, you know, our our brethren all around the world are going through similar sufferings today. But, uh, you know, Paul is a great example of someone who was willing to do that. Oh, yes, yes. And even as you were saying that, I was thinking of a missionary been praying really fervently for here recently, uh, who who is suffering much uh, in order to build the church there and to train pastors and to uh, grow the you know the gospel of Christ in that area. Uh, thanks for that for that uh, clarification. Well, I love your insights on Colossians two six. It reads, "As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him." And, you know, I've always believed that that was saying, you know, you received Christ by faith, so walk in him by faith. And, of course, that is truth. But you see uh, that Paul intends his readers to apply the scripture maybe in another way. Explain that. Mm Yeah, I, I definitely think that what you're saying is is true, and I, I do uh, say the same thing when I'm teaching that that passage that he is indicating that you know we received him by faith, and so we should walk by faith. But as you're going through chapter two of Colossians, you can see that he's he's making this this strong case that they don't need to change culturally in order to be accepted by Christ or to to walk walk in him in a faithful way. And uh, so what he's saying there, um, and this is kind of similar to how he uses uh, that language in um, second Corinthians, or excuse me, first Corinthians chapter seven regarding marriage. But uh, what he's saying is, you know, you were, you were called as Gentiles um, and you can just be Gentiles. It's okay. (laughs) You don't have to change your culture to be someone else. And, and there's so many, so many people um, have, uh, throughout history, when they've brought the gospel to, to various places, they've also exported their culture. And uh, that can be, um, you know, sometimes there's benefit uh, beneficial things from certain cultures that can help other cultures. But when it comes with a, um, a suggestion that the, uh, the culture is, is superior or um, more uh, pleasing to the Lord because of um, extra biblical things, then those uh, those things can become a means of uh, creating kind of a tiered system between one group of believers and another, and and some of those things persist. It's it's kind of um, it's kind of heartbreaking to see. I, I've spent a bunch of time in Africa, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, recently, I was in South uh, South Africa, and um, I learned something that that just you know, it shocked me and broke my heart is that there's a very common belief in South Africa that uh, the prayers of white people are more effective than the prayers of black people. 
And that's just absolutely not true. Um, but it has to do with the way the gospel was brought brought to them. It was brought with the assumption that, uh, you know, European culture is superior to African culture. And so some of those things can have an effect that last even today. And people can feel just because of their, um, their skin color or because of their culture being a little different that uh, the Lord loves them less or that uh, he's less active in their lives. And it's just not the case. Wow. And we certainly need to do everything that we can to make sure the truth is out there, that he loves us equally. He truly does. Amen. Wow. Amen. Wow. Well, well, just as you said, you just returned from Ghana, Africa, uh, where you shared the good news of God's grace, his peace, his love, his freedom. And you speak about the love of these precious brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the love that they have for the Lord and how welcoming they are for people to come into their country and bring the gospel. And you say it's sort of surprising considering the atrocities that were committed by false teachers uh, in times gone by. Explain what you know about those atrocities and even what you just shared is horrible. So, mm-hmm. but, but I know that you, you learned more at, while you were there. Yeah. So that, that first uh, thing I mentioned was from South Africa, but, um, and, you know, we did go to the, um, the apartheid museum and things like that. And we saw, um, how, uh, Christianity was actually used, um, as a tool to oppress the people there. But, um, in, in Ghana, it was even worse. We went to, um, the Cape coast slave castle and it's just the most heartbreaking thing I've ever, I've ever experienced is to go through there and uh, listen to the, the tour guide to explain everything that happened. Um, and the thing that uh, broke my heart the most is, you know, we went and, um, we went down into the, the male slave dungeon and this is an area that's it's really not very big. It's, um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you exactly how big, but it's there's, you know, four chambers in there. And they would ha- house about a thousand people in there. And it's it's dark. And, um, you know, we were walking around on, on this floor that um, um, was... Uh, this is a little bit hard to say, but, um, you know, the, the floor itself, there was about a, a two inch covering that was made up of hardened, uh, feces and human remains and, you know, sweat and blood and all those things from the people that, um, were in there. They didn't, you know, they didn't have any way to relieve themselves without it just being on the ground. And about a third of them died. There was, um, there was roughly uh, 3 million people that went through that, um, that slave, uh, castle at one point or another as slaves. And, you know, again, about a million of them died. And, um, when we got to one chamber of the slave dungeon, um, he mentioned that the room, there was a room directly above, directly above the entrance to the, the male slave dungeon was a room that was used for an Anglican church. And so this church would, uh, would meet and, you know, worship the Lord and talk about his love while, you know, people were suffering and dying, um, as being treated as, as property worse than animals, um, just right, right directly beneath them. And so, um, as you go through Ghana, it's, it's, it's really an incredible testament to, to the power of the Holy spirit and the gospel that, um, even though, 
the lips that brought the gospel to Ghana were so unloving that people can still see the love of God in the gospel. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to think about these things and to, um, to really process what had happened to them, but, um, it is, it is an amazing thing to see how the Lord, um, has, has still, uh, been so powerful with, um, with the message of God's grace in, um, there in, uh, in Ghana. But, uh, you know, there, it is a little bit of a hindrance, um, that there was such a, um, poor, you know, inhuman treatment of the people there. Um, you know, some people because of that have a tough time understanding, you know, things like eternal security and stuff because they'll say, well, these people said they believed in Christ. And so how could, um, how could these people be saved and do something like this? And, and, you know, so people do, um, do have to wrestle with it if you're, if you're living in that, um, community. And I I don't know that those people were saved. Um, we don't, I mean, we can't talk to them to find out. But uh, we do know that the Lord is faithful to keep us keep us saved, even even in the midst of of um, us failing miserably. So, oh well, it's it's truly a testament, yes, of God's faithfulness, His love, uh, mm-hmm. and what reward those four people will have uh, when they when the 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 slaves who who came to know the Lord and and will. Uh, you know, just have no more suffering and pain in eternity and receive the reward for standing firm, even when these atrocities had been done to their people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Well, mm-hmm. uh, Paul obviously uh, had arguments to use uh, from both Colossians and Galatians that we can apply mm-hmm. to our own lives when we consider that God does intend unity uh, in our diversity. Uh Give us some some things that we can take with us today uh, to really apply and begin to make a difference uh, so that these kinds of atrocities never happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, even even beyond atrocities, today is a this is a time that we live in where people are really, really sensitive to um, to uh, feeling excluded and uh, to feeling like they um, are not valued. And so, even in subtle ways, sometimes we can we can find that um, that that folks who are who are different in in whatever way um, can have a tough time fitting in in church, and can feel excluded. And so, it's really important for us to to think through and understand what what of our um, our standards that we hold as far as you know how we should act and um, you know what kind of um, uh, you know what kind of life we lead, we lead, and all those sort of things. To really think through what of those are biblical, and what are those what of those are just cultural. And when it comes to so many different things regarding, like um, you know, uh, our appearance and and uh, things like uh, our politics and all those sort of things, we often tend to heap. Um, different cultural um, expectations upon other other believers, and uh, what we're doing is essentially creating a different kind of legalism. It's, we're not calling people to the law, but we're um, calling people to uh, a certain a certain kind of conformity. And it really is um, still a, a, a being conformed to the world, and we don't necessarily realize it because it's it's kind of how we grew up as as Christians. But if we can understand the distinction 
between um, between what is biblical and what is uh, cultural, then we can start to really um, not only recognize our own freedom. And I think that tends to be kind of a first step that a lot of people do when they start to understand the concept of Christian liberty is they start to understand their own freedom and think, oh, wow, well, I've been I've been sort of bound in these various ways and I don't need to be. But then the next step after that is to start to see, well, we I need to be sure that I'm I'm respecting the freedom of other people. And not only that, but I'm um, respecting the fact that that uh, God actually loves diversity. It doesn't. Um, it this isn't a hindrance. If we're all different from one another, that's not a hindrance. It's a it's a beautiful thing. And and uh, you know, Jesus said in John chapter seventeen. And this is such a um, amazing point of of the history of Christ's ministry, uh, because it's right before he goes to the cross, and it's the it's the longest prayer that we have recorded of Jesus, and it's the only time that Jesus directly prays for us, for believers um, who would believe as a result of the disciples. And and what does he pray? He prays that uh, we would be one, just as uh, the Father and He are one. And so, um, as, as we think about that, um, he says, he says that the result of, of that unity would be that, uh, that people would believe in Christ. And so if we want to be, um, if we want to be effective in our ministries, we need to recognize that, um, that nothing is going to be more effective if, than if we as a diverse community really do truly love each other for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ. And we grant one another the freedom to be different. And then, um, and then that love that we have is just, just like Christ's love for us. As we go through that, people are going to look from the outside and they say, wow, this, there's really something to this. But, you know, if we keep, um, you know, fighting and, and uh, magnifying the differences to the exclusion of, of, of different people, then uh, we're going to find that, that people are going to look at the church and say, well, it's no different than any other religion or any other social club. So it's, there's, a, there's a mandate that we have uh, to um, not only uh, to accept people who are different, but also to be really vocal about it and uh, to help people to really understand that God loves them. Just this is, this is what Paul was doing. He says, he said that um, the literal translation right at the beginning of Colossians two is like, I want you to know how much I fight for you and, and all those uh, who haven't seen my face in the flesh that, that, and the idea that he want, he's fighting for is that their hearts would be encouraged. They'd be knit together in love and that they would understand the full assurance of all of the wisdom and everything else that has to do with that mystery that's that is you know as we mentioned is Christ in you the hope of glory and so if we can um if we can embrace that we can be vocal about it we can really make a difference and we can uh, have a much more effective witness oh we truly can i can just see uh church churches that let the community know by their actions and their deeds that this is who we are. We love you. We welcome you. We want you to come and worship with us and, and treating them equally. Now, no matter, no matter the difference, uh, that church will grow. <laughs> that church will mm-hmm. grow. Well, Amen. Thank you so much, Grant. Uh, so enjoyed this. You, you have just excellent insight of the scriptures and reminding us today of the unity that God intends for the body of Christ is just beautiful. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us today. We've put information 
about Grant, about his books and Free Grace Alliance on our Saving Grace program page at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. While there, check out the opportunities offered here at Grace School of Theology for seminary degrees and our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. There you can find Bible studies and other resources to deepen your faith and your knowledge and love for the Lord. Tell others about saving grace and remember the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.